Hello and welcome at long last to a new episode of Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather. I'll be your guide for all things Alice in Wonderland through the Looking Glass and Lewis Carroll. And I missed you guys. How have you been? Don't answer that. No time. Today we are diving into a two-part, very spooky, very seasonal episode involving the Lewis Carroll penned poem, Phantasmagoria. Insert evil-sounding laughter here. I don't know if I meant to put in a sound effect there or if I was just going to read that, but too late now. Now, I say spooky, but in reality, Phantasmagoria is a very light and comedic tale. It's about a ghost, but he's a rather hapless ghost. Not very good at haunting. Kind of pathetic, really. So never fear, this will be family-friendly, as always. I am breaking it down into two episodes, because Phantasmagoria is Lewis Carroll's longest poem. It's 150 stanzas, and it will take me approximately 27 minutes and 11 seconds to read it. But listeners of Alice's Everywhere know we don't just read things. We experience them. We learn the backstory. We get commentary. We break it down, which is precisely what I will be doing today on Phantasmagoria Part 1. Never fear, for those of you who wait with bated breath for Alice's Everywhere episodes to be released, Phantasmagoria Part 2, in which I actually read Phantasmagoria, will be released mere hours after Part 1, so you will not forget all you have learned before hearing the actual poem. Before we get to Phantasmagoria, however, I wanted to make a few comments about the number 42. It comes after 41. No, no, not in a Sesame Street type way. I want to talk about 42 in a Lewis Carroll type way. For you see, this is episode 42 of Alice is Everywhere, and there is evidence to suggest that the number 42 held some special significance to Lewis Carroll. I talked about this in episode 30, but I thought it was worthy of another mention on the occasion of episode 42. I'm quite certain that Lewis Carroll never mentioned the number 42 being a favorite of his in his many diaries and journals. There was no, dear diary, don't you just love the number 42? I think it's the best number ever that ever was. There's nothing like that. But there are clues in his body of published works. Clue number one. The King of Hearts refers to Rule 42 during the trial of the Knave of Hearts in the last chapter of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. You'll recall Alice has grown to a rather inconvenient size, and the King says, Rule 42, all persons more than a mile high to leave the court. He then says that it is the oldest rule in the book, giving Alice the opportunity to sass back with, well, then it ought to be rule number one. Snap. Clue number two. 42 is mentioned again in a roundabout way in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland in Chapter 2, when Alice is trying to convince herself that she's not Mabel because Mabel knows, oh, such a very little, she starts reciting the multiplication tables. And she fails miserably. She says, let me see, 4 times 5 is 12, and 4 times 6 is 13, and 4 times 7 is, oh dear, I shall never get to 20 at that rate. If you concluded from this passage that Alice is just getting her math wrong, like when she recites poetry wrong and it comes out all garbled, that might be true. However, apparently, 4 times 5 is 12 if you are dealing with base 18. 4 times 5 is 12 in base 18. 4 times 6 is 13 in base 21. So the bases are going up by 3s. And if we continue on at that pattern, it works until base 42. And no, I cannot explain that further. My apologies. Clue number three, 
42 is mentioned in The Hunting of the Snark. One of the characters has 42 boxes full of stuff. Clue number three and a half. I'm only giving it a half because I believe it's just a coincidence, but there are 42 original illustrations by John Tenniel in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Lastly, clue number four brings us back to Phantasmagoria, in which the age of the man being haunted, the hauntee, is, you guessed it, 42. And that concludes our number 42 segment. We have not spoken too much about Lewis Carroll the Poet on Alice is Everywhere, mostly because, hello, it's called Alice is Everywhere, not Lewis Carroll's lesser-known poetry is everywhere. That wouldn't be catchy at all. There are, of course, some poems contained within Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there. Those poems include original works and also riffs or parodies on nursery rhymes and popular poems and songs of Lewis Carroll's time. I imagine those parodies are what really had Victorian readers just rolling in the aisles, whereas we modern readers, as a group, if I may speak for all of us, are more fans of the iconic characters and the overall drollery of the Alice books, and not so much the poems. We read those parodies and perhaps say, uh, what's this now? But if you were of the era, they were hilarious. I was about to say, imagine if there was a weird Al Yankovic song inserted in there in an Alice book parodying a modern song that you know and love. Wouldn't that be an uproarious treat for us all? But I think I will go ahead and not compare Weird Al to Lewis Carroll. I'm just going to stop right there. Long before he was Lewis Carroll and penned the Alice books, Charles Ludwidge Dodson wrote poetry. He wrote it in those magazines he created as a youth and through his 20s. You'll recall those magazines were entitled The Rectory Magazine, The Rectory Umbrella, and Mishmash. In the mid-1850s, when he would have been in his early 20s, he got some of his poems published in actual magazines, some national publications in England. It was for one of those poems, entitled Solitude, that was published in the magazine The Train in 1856, that Charles Dodson first used the alias, the pen name, the nom de plume, Lewis Carroll. We have never discussed the creation of the name Lewis Carroll, I don't believe, which seems kind of strange. The short explanation is that he took his first and middle names, Charles Ludwidge, translated them into Latin, Carolus Ludovicus, then translated it back to English, Carol Lewis, and reversed the order for good measure. Phantasmagoria was published between the Alice books. You'll recall that Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was released in 1865 through The Looking Glass and What Alice Found There was 1871. A collection of poetry entitled Phantasmagoria and Other Poems was published in 1869. That version did not have illustrations. When pretty much the exact same collection was published again in 1883, Phantasmagoria did have illustrations. Those were by A.B. Frost, Arthur Burdett Frost, who was a successful illustrator and painter and drew just the cutest little ghost you'll ever see for Phantasmagoria. I combed through the A.B. Frost chapter of the book Lewis Carroll and His Illustrators, which I've mentioned before, to see if there were any insights to add to today's episode. I was struck once again with how much bigger the world was back in Victorian times. A.B. Frost lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States of America, Lewis Carroll lived in England. Lewis Carroll first approached Frost via a letter in 1878 about maybe illustrating some of his poems. 
Frost visited England for a while, so he was accessible for a bit. But after he goes back to the States, this incredibly arduous back and forth goes on between them. And it it takes years, literally years, because each letter takes a month to get a response. At least that's what Lewis Carroll keeps saying in the letters. I don't know if he was exaggerating a tad, but I'm guessing two weeks to cross the ocean one way, two weeks to come back. And miscommunications keep happening, such as on November 25th, 1878, Lewis Carroll writes to A.B. Frost, Hey, I don't remember how many pictures we settled on or what the terms were, so just go ahead and carry out whatever we agreed on. Unfortunately, most of Frost's responses have been lost, but on December 28th, a month later, Lewis Carroll writes, Hey, you drew way too many pictures for that poem. I can't use these. And I'll quote, It is no doubt very awkward for us to have the Atlantic between us, as it makes all consultations so tedious and difficult, but it is a great pity you ran the risk of drawing so many blocks without a previous agreement. Ack! That was my ack, end quote. January 30th, 1879. A month later, once again, Lewis Carroll writes, and I quote, Now that I have returned to Oxford and have opened your parcel of blocks and read the letter accompanying them, I see how entirely mistaken I was in my last letter. End quote. What? And then he goes on to say that the number of pictures is just fine. So to recap, letter number one, draw whatever we agreed on, I don't remember. Letter number two, yowza, why did you draw so many? You wasted your time, that's not what we agreed on. And letter number three, JK, that's the perfect number of pictures. My bad. Can you imagine being A.B. Frost having a month to stew between receiving each of these letters? So annoying. It's so out of character for Lewis Carroll to say, I don't remember the terms about anything, because as we know, he kept a very meticulous letter register that would have recorded all this info. I guess he didn't take the letter register with him to his home away from home, the Chestnuts in Guildford? I guess that must be it. Regarding the actual word, phantasmagoria, it's such a delightfully loaded descriptive bit of nonsense. I assume that Lewis Carroll coined it himself like he did so many other words, portmanteaus and otherwise. I assumed incorrectly. According to the mostly reliable Wikipedia, a phantasmagoria is a type of theater from the late 1700s that usually involved using magic lanterns to project ghosts and demons and other sundry scary stuff on the walls. Now at these events there might be scary sound effects, moving back and forth between projections and total darkness, and even other sensory experiences like weird smells and electric shocks. What? I don't think that would fly today. And for the late adult-only shows, they might encourage fasting, or even taking a little something-something, to make the experience more extreme. Kind of like teenagers who smoke a little something-something and then go to a laser light show. Are there still laser light shows? (laughs) Like Laser Floyd and the like? I hope so. So if you were a man or woman about town in, say, Berlin or Paris, circa 1790 or so, and attended a phantasmagoria performance, the idea was to experience as real a haunting as possible, without actual ghosts being present. At least, no invited ghosts. Besides the specific theater definition, you can use phantasmagoria to mean any type of dreamlike images or events though I certainly do not hear the word kicked around much in casual conversation. The root phan, P-H-A-N, from ancient Greek means to appear or to seem, so that's the same root as words like fantasize, fantasy, phantom. 
So Phantasmagoria, the poem, was published in 1869, but a few more modern works of art share that title as well. There was a video game released in 1995 for PCs. It has nothing to do plot-wise with the Lewis Carroll poem. It is about a writer who moves into a mansion, all by her lonesome, and finds herself haunted by supernatural forces. Apparently you can still play Phantasmagoria via the website Steam, I was previously familiar with Steam as a site for little kids to go play video games. Phantasmagoria is not for little kids. Apparently the game is filled with violence and gore and even some sexual content, parents be forewarned. Another more modern Phantasmagoria has never actually been released and is shrouded in mystery. I don't know if you guys know this, but Marilyn Manson is a big Lewis Carroll fan. Actually, that's probably an understatement. He, by many accounts, is absolutely Lewis Carroll obsessed. In 2007, he released an album called Eat Me, Drink Me, which is, of course, what was written on the bottles and cakes Alice drank and ate in Wonderland. There is a song on the album called Eat Me, Drink Me. Another is called Are You the Rabbit? From what I've read, the album doesn't have much to do with Alice in Wonderland, but it's clear he drew some inspiration from there, along with some much darker more disturbing places that have nothing to do with Lewis Carroll or our girl Alice. While Marilyn was working on Eat Me, Drink Me, he was also writing what was to be his first movie, entitled Phantasmagoria, The Visions of Lewis Carroll. He made an announcement regarding the movie at the 2006 Berlin Film Festival. Spoiler alert, this film did not come to fruition. Many actors were rumored to be attached to it at different times, including Angelina Jolie, Lily Cole, former Marilyn Manson Flames, Evan Rachel Wood, and Dita Von Teese. Marilyn said he wanted Phantasmagoria to be a psychological-type horror movie, more in the Alfred Hitchcock vein than your typical splatterfest. But a supposedly accidentally released trailer in 2010 would suggest otherwise. The trailer's on YouTube. I don't recommend watching it. (laughs) If you have parental controls on your YouTube settings, you can't watch it because it is full of nudity and blood and disturbing imagery. Perhaps the most disturbing of all being Marilyn Manson dressed as Lewis Carroll. I kid. That's really the least disturbing thing. The trailer is pretty gross. If you happen to be an Alice fan who is really into the dark adaptations and you don't mind extreme violence, by all means, watch it. Knock yourself out. But for everyone else... I would not recommend looking that up. In fact, according to MansonWiki.com, a website that exists, reaction to this trailer was so negative, that is what effectively killed the project. Marilyn Manson hinted in some interviews post-2010 that he was revisiting the project, but there does not appear to be any evidence of that. And I can't emphasize enough, Marilyn Manson's Phantasmagoria is his own nightmarish creation, Aside from borrowing the title, it has absolutely nothing to do with the delightfully droll Phantasmagoria poem about a hapless ghost explaining his trials and tribulations to the man he is supposed to be haunting. I'm going to do something I don't usually do, which is explain a little bit of the meaning of a work before we listen to it. And don't misunderstand, I don't mean like deep meaning like themes or literary conceits or anything, I just mean what the heck is actually going on in Phantasmagoria, because the language is so very Victorian and uses some archaic words and, frankly, some words that are a little bit of a stretch in the name of rhyming. 
that I fear it may be a little hard to understand at times, you know, without being able to read it in front of you. What's fun about the poem is that it is about a haunting, but it's more from the ghost's perspective than the human's. It's all about the troubles the ghost has to go through just to do his job, just to haunt somebody for pity's sake. Phantasmagoria is divided into seven parts, more specifically seven cantos, from the Latin for song. The first canto, entitled The Trysting, describes the humorous way in which the ghost and his victim meet. Canto two, His Five Rules, is when our little ghost describes in detail the five rules of ghost etiquette. In Canto three, Scarmages, the ghost describes the haunting hierarchy, which specters are higher up on the haunting food chain. I believe this is the first canto in which brownies are mentioned. A brownie is a mythical household spirit from English and Scottish folklore. Or is it mythical? It's probably mythical. I also had to look up the canto's title, Skarmages. Apparently, skarmage is a no longer used form of the word skirmish. Skirmishes, skarmages. Canto 4 is called His Nourichur, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's spelled H-Y-S-N-O-U-R-Y-T-U-R-E. I don't know if it's some archaic spelling of nature or some form of nourish, possibly nurture. I guess probably nurture. I could not figure it out or find an answer. If you know, please fill me in. In Canto 4, the Bradshaw Guide is mentioned. This was a railway guide with timetables and whatnot from Lewis Carroll's time. Apparently he spoofed it in earlier works as well. Who knew railway guides were so rife for delicious parody? Canto 5 is called Bickermint. It's spelled with a Y, but I believe it has the same meaning as when it is spelled with an I, a bickering argument. In Canto 5, a character will be introduced called the Knight Mayor. FYI, that is a knight with a K. K-N-I-G-H-T. M-A-Y-O-R. Canto 6 is discomfiture. Again, spelled funky, but meaning embarrassment, awkwardness, unease. Lastly, Canto 7 is sad souvenance. Souvenance meaning a recollection. And spoiler alert, it's not really sad. If you are confused by any parts of Phantasmagoria and want to revisit it, or if you are so incredibly delighted you want to read it again, it is available for free online on a site called Project Gutenberg. For some reason, Project Gutenberg prefaces Phantasmagoria with a poem that I am 98.5% certain was actually the preface for The Hunting of the Snark. So if you do go to Project Gutenberg and see an acrostic poem that, surprise, surprise, spells out a young girl's name, and you wonder why I didn't read it, that's why, it doesn't belong there. It goes before The Hunting of the Snark. Again, if anyone has got any info to the contrary, please let me know via the Alice is Everywhere Facebook page, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Email me at heather at aliceseverywhere.com or use the contact form at Alice is Everywhere. And that goes for any other topic. I always love hearing from you guys with questions or comments, and it may take me a while, but I will write back and or address your queries on this podcast or on social media. Thanks for listening to part one of our Phantasmagoria twofer. The next episode, aside from some quick pleasantries, will solely consist of me reading Phantasmagoria. Hopefully for your listening pleasure. I predict it will be for your listening pleasure for the first two or three cantos, and then your mind will start to wander to your grocery list or 
what's going to happen on the new Stranger Things or any number of non-Victorian, non-ghostly topics. But hopefully you will enjoy it. Talk soon. Very soon.